Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get ready to get blitzed on the Blitz Podcast at TheHuddle.com with your host Steve Gallo and co-host Jake Richmond and Harley Schultz. Welcome back to the Blitz Podcast on our special election day episode. Not really, but figure we might as well chime in and try and get a few hits because of that. All right, Harley, you're not my Republican. You're not my Democrat. You're not my independent. You're just my trusty co-host. How's it going? Well, uh, I feel like I'm doing pretty good today, but uh, certainly I'll feel a lot better once we uh, no longer have to watch all these political ads uh, in basically blocking up our uh, Sunday afternoon football watching. Yes. Oh, my God. On my way home tonight, they hit. I hit a part on the highway where it was dead stop about three-quarters of a mile before my exit. And I was like, what is this? I don't understand why our cars stopped. Aren't they all in a hurry to get home and watch the very last night of election commercials? I guess not. <laughs> well, I, I can say with certainty that uh, we we had some, uh, some people come to town here uh, – uh, Donald Trump actually made a brief visit to Minnesota uh, today. Uh, I don't know how he actually expects to do much of anything here in Minnesota, seeing as how this is the only state that uh, voted uh, Democrat in the uh, 1984 election. Uh, and realistically, it's it's just Minnesota has been a blue stronghold for such a long time that uh, uh, it really doesn't matter what your politics are here. Uh, Hillary Clinton's going to get the... Uh, necessary electoral votes from this state. I'll tell you what. I'm not a political person. I'll be honest with you. I'm a registered independent. Here's what I have to say. As am I. No matter what happens tomorrow, we're going to have a new president. And us, the little guys, we're still going to be dealing with zero quarterback theorems, zero running back strategies. What else? What else do we got? Um, Robust running back, running back injuries, Coach speak, they're not going to fix any of that for us. So as far as I'm concerned, <laughs> this message has been paid for by Steve Gallo for president 2020. Hey, feel free to write me in, people. If you listen to the podcast, maybe that'll get us 20, get me 20 votes. And Harley can be my VP. All right, I'll tell you what. Since we've been complaining about the news or ads, politically um, induced type things, Let's just throw it over to Harley for this week's Blitz Podcast News. My name is Harley Schultz, and I approve this newscast. Mark Ingram recouped from his benching to absolutely abuse the 49ers. Unfortunately, Sean Payton still shoved Tim Hightower down our collective throats for the majority of the first couple drives. 
It wasn't until Drew Brees found Mark Ingram open for a receiving touchdown that Peyton allowed Ingram to touch the football again. Despite this week's respite for Ingram, Peyton was none too happy that Brees actually allowed Ingram the opportunity to score a touchdown. In response, Peyton has suspended Brees for the first half of next week's game. <laughs> Fantasy preseason darling Tajay Sharp failed to score once again this week. In completely unrelated yet similar news, water is wet, the sky is blue, and Todd Gurley was a waste of a first-round pick. <laughs> Marcus Mariota continues his strong sophomore campaign as he has posted 15 touchdowns over the last five weeks. Jameis Winston is also looking strong, posting multiple scores in three straight. Meanwhile, rookies Dak Prescott, Carson Wentz, and even Cody Kessler have looked solid in their opportunities. Of course, this begs the question, how rotten must Jared Goff look in practice to not beat out the high school level talent of Case Keenum? <laughs> Travis Kelsey was ejected from his game after he threw his towel at an official. Following the game, we caught up with Kelsey, who thought, despite the ejection, that the whole interaction was pretty darn funny. He even admitted that he will use this as his future method for eliminating unwanted suitors on his reality dating show. Like most of America, our BPN News team has not seen the show Catching Kelsey. We have, however, repeatedly seen Alex Smith's favorite show, Overthrowing Kelsey. <laughs> and finally, Brock Osweiler and the Houston Texans travel to face Blake Bortles and the Jacksonville Jaguars this week. In addition, the aforementioned Case Keenum travels to face Ryan Fitzpatrick in New York. These two games should make it quite clear why the NFL's ratings are slipping. I mean, let's face it. These two matchups are so bad, Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump won't even buy airtime during their broadcasts. <laughs> This has been your BPN News Update. God, that is how you know it's bad if you can't get them to buy any airtime. I mean, we do approve of this broadcast. There you go. <laughs> um, so Breeze, suspended for the first half. I guess that would only mean we should see 302 then, right? Well, you know what? It'll be interesting because I think we might talk about him during the DFS segment today. Okay, we'll leave it at that then. Um, <clears throat> and then, of course, I do have to correct you on one thing. Um, it was not a towel that Mr. Kelsey threw at the official. It was his gloves, I believe. Was it? It was hard to tell from the from the video footage. Either in a, either event, I mean, how do they know he just wasn't like you know a quarterback of the ilk of Sam Bradford or something? He was actually throwing them somewhere else. What's really crazy is the the play was definitely it, it should have been pass interference. The the in, individual uh, responsible for the call was right there. He saw it fairly clearly. And I think only because Kelsey uh, got up in his face and kind of bitched and moaned about it, that's the only reason he didn't get the call. Very, very possible. Who knows? So i got to be honest with you. We might as well stick with this election theme. And I know that there's quite a few people that would say that they're voting for one candidate or the other 
because they feel that that person is the lesser of two evils. Yes. And I don't, I can't think of a better way to discuss the running back situations that we promised everybody we were going to talk about this week. Well, in some cases, you're going for the lesser of two evils. And in some of these backfields, it really is evil. Yeah, you should see the backfields in most of my leagues. And I'm talking about what I have rostered. Talk about evil. It's more like the evil dead. Well, I've gone ahead and I've, I've looked at each of the individual teams based on their running back situation. And I've identified 12 teams that has a running back that's fairly secure in his job. He has, really has no other competition. And you can count on that, that, that running back as being a running back one pretty much every week. And that's Indianapolis with Frank Gore. Houston with Lamar Miller, although he has been hurt lately. The Rams with Todd Gurley, even though he's been underperforming. Arizona with David Johnson. San Diego with Melvin Gordon. Buffalo with the return to health of LaShawn McCoy this week. Miami with the breakout for Jay Ajahi. Dallas with uh, perhaps this league's best quarterback, uh, best quarterback, best running back, Ezekiel Elliott. Pittsburgh with Le'Veon Bell. Tennessee with DeMarco Murray. Kansas City with Spencer Ware, who should be back next week. Uh, Charkandrick West really did not do very much at all in that game. And, and finally, Carolina with Jonathan Stewart, who also struggled a little bit this week. We also have six backfields where there are two running backs who have clearly defined roles. Atlanta with Tevin Coleman and Devontae Freeman. The New York Jets with Matt Forte and Bilal Powell. Cleveland with Duke Johnson and Isaiah Crowell. Jacksonville with Chris Ivory and TJ Yeldon. Cincinnati with Giovanni Bernard and Jeremy Hill. And the New England Patriots with LeGarrette Blunt and James White, soon to be Deion Lewis. But there are still 14 other teams that's kind of a crapshoot who owners should really have on their fantasy radar as startable running backs as the season progresses. So... We're going to talk about each of those teams and maybe uh, give the listeners out there some insight as to which members of these running back by committees people should actually be owning and which ones they can just go ahead and cut. Well, first, I need to get on a soapbox. i got to rail on Todd Gurley for a bit. I absolutely, like I said, every Friday I give my bargain basement blue light specials on WDAE with Steve Dumig when I'm on the show. And I'm, I'm talking bottom of the barrel stuff. And I said, Look, I gotta just tell everybody, I love Todd Gurley this week. He's not my bargain basement blue light special because his price doesn't sit there. But I just wanted people to know I absolutely loved him in that matchup. Okay, that matchup, the way that game played out in a microcosm, has to tell a Gurley owner that you're screwed the rest of the way. Exactly. Basically, that game was a one-score game for how much of it? Far too long. And Case Keenum threw the ball 697 times to like the six that Todd Gurley got force-fed the ball. And it's really too bad because, again, I mean, Case Keenum was a popular DFS uh, sort of uh, variance play this past week. I actually had a few shares of him myself, and uh, yep. I, was, I was underwhelmed, obviously, at his final performance numbers. But, uh, again, it wasn't horrible considering uh, what it could have been. No, and, and here's the thing. He was actually one of my quarterback blue light specials, bargain basement blue light specials, I should say. Um, so, yeah, had I known he was going to throw the ball that much, I'd have felt really good about that play, but I never would have envisioned 
him throwing the ball that much in a one-score game. Not, I didn't see the game playing out that way. That was why I liked him as a DFS play. And then I liked Gurley just because I thought that they'd be able to involve him in the passing game more with Luke Keekley either out or being subpar due to his injury that he was dealing with. And it just didn't well, happen. If we take the Dallas offense example, uh, Dallas has put a fairly unproven, may or may not have been ready for primetime player in at quarterback and put them alongside a much belly-hooed rookie running back, and the two have been very, very good together in that backfield. Now, Gurley, is, uh, he's only one year into the league, so he's still very, very young, but he's also very belly-hooed. He had a great break into the league, yeah. uh, great performances early on tired as the season went on last year. But I mean, what's really stopping the Los Angeles Rams? I mean, they're... Jeff Fisher. I think that's the big question mark there. Is I didn't want to mention his name out loud because I think if you say it three times, uh, uh, a boogeyman comes and kills you. But Jeff Fisher. Oops. <laughs> Don't look in your mirror, Steve. Nope, no mirrors here. So I, I just had to get on a soapbox and rail on that for a little bit. I mean, I love the talent. I just... Man, it's a tough pill to swallow. I would probably go against you on one of the teams that you outlined, but I agree with you that there are defined roles for two of the players. One is sucks and one is suckier, and that would probably be the Jacksonville situation um, just because I can't see the game script being something that's positive for either of those guys going forward. I would have to agree with you there. I mean, Ivory did establish himself on the ground a little bit this week. He averaged over 10 yards a carry. Yep. Uh, most of that was on one play. But still, uh, it's it's nice to see him kind of distinguish himself in that. And and even Yeldon, uh, he, he caught a touchdown pass this week. He's still involved in the passing game, which is probably best for him because he really sucks at running the ball between the tackles. Yeah, I think he's got like a square a square root running average or something. Um, okay, so let's pick it up. Let's um, first of all, let me say this: tonight's game we're watching in the background as we record. It feels like the election. I'll run for a three yard touchdown, says Tyrod Taylor. And Russell Wilson says, I can do whatever you can do better. I'll run for a three-yard touchdown also. And I think what we're looking at, though, is that this game could end up in a tie, much like the election could, and uh, then oh, all bets are off. God, bite your tongue. Just don't ask for a recount. No, please don't. Okay, so who do you want to start with? Well, I think that we should start right here in my uh, backyard, the NFC North, where three teams really have unsettled running back situations. We have Minnesota, we have Green Bay, and we have Chicago. Uh, how do you feel about those three backfields? Who do you think is going to emerge from those three backfields? And who should our listeners own and who should they cut? I'm going to tell you that the Minnesota situation, I don't care who you put back there. We saw Adrian Peterson sucking earlier in the year. You can bring back Jim Brown. You can bring back Emmett Smith. You can put Zeke Elliott. You can trade him to the Vikings. I don't think it's going to matter with that offensive line. So I'm going to tell you, send them all packing. Simil I would have to agree. Similarly, in Green Bay, there's just not a healthy body to be had there. And even if there were, right now that offense just, I don't care. It just does not seem right. Their identity doesn't seem like they know what they are. So... I really think by default, you have to go to Chicago. I think it might not wind up where you have that one guy in Justin Howard that's the guy, but you could have him have a defined role and then somebody else 
the guy's name's escaping me right now. Help me out here. Kadeem Carey yeah, and Kadeem, or uh, Lan- Jeremy Langford? No, not Langford. It'll be Kadeem Carey, I think, uh, that would have a defined role in the passing game. So I think that they would fit into that second tier that we talked about. Now, one player that I mean, we have talked a little, we talked a little bit there about Adrian Peterson. There's talk he may be back uh, for the playoffs. Obviously, he's kind of like Big Ben. He's kind of bionic in his healing. But even when he does come back, uh, Adrian does not operate well out of the shotgun. And Shermer definitely wants to institute a shotgun offense uh, for pa- uh, for Sam Bradford. He has to. Give him more time, exactly. <laughs> I mean, hell, drop him back 14, 18 yards, make the long snapper snap to him. He needs some time. The other interesting uh, note is that James Starks may be back for Green Bay next week. Now, I don't know if he immediately steps into that number one role or if they keep rolling with uh, Sickle Cell Montgomery or... Uh, I just I, I don't know if I like that situation at all. I mean, is Starks going to be able to produce in that offense? He was underwhelming before he got hurt. Okay, yes, he knows the offense, but he was underwhelming. A lot of it has to do with opportunity. So, will there be some opportunity there? Sure. Is it going to be something that you can rely on? I don't think so. Ty Montgomery looks like he could be electric, but you know that you can only give him a limited number of touches. And you don't know week to week how he's going to be responding to his sickle cell. So that's what makes me leery of him. Um, I just think that it's going to be one of those things that's a lot of roller coaster in Green Bay. A lot of ups and downs with the downs being very, very down in my opinion. Well, we did talk a little bit how Ezekiel Elliott is a sure thing there for Dallas. But the entire rest of the NFC East has question marks at their running back position right now. Uh, Washington, Philadelphia... And the New York Giants. Uh, are any of these pieces ownable on any of these rosters? I think so. It's, I think it's a lot like, like the North, where two of those teams, it's pretty lost, I think. And I think one team clearly has what could wind up being the fine role. Of course, I could be wrong. Um, I think that the one team that's odd man out first would be the New York Giants. Rashad Jennings just not getting it done. Paul Perkins should start to see more touches. They'll probably vulture each other to where neither of them has enough value to be relied on week to week, but yet not really have that defined role either, if that makes any sense. It's more of a hot hand situation I think we'll see there. Dynasty, I think Perkins adds to his value over the coming weeks, but for redraft, I don't see it. And then in Philadelphia, hey, Ryan Matthews is a starter. The coach said so even though he gets out-touched by the change of pace back, Darren Sproles, um, from a team that wants to slow things down. So that's about as clear as mud when you try to sift through the smoke. I'd like to think that Matthews, if he can stay healthy or get healthy, because I think he's probably being slowed by that ankle injury from earlier in the year, could be a late-season boon for somebody. If I was going to gamble, I would gamble on him, believe it or not. Um, but I can, think can Washington— someone please define to me— why Doug Peterson thought it was a good idea on fourth and a little bit longer than one to try to run Darren Sproles up the middle. Haven't you seen that Darren Sproles commercial? (laughs) He probably thought that he would burrow burrow his way under the line and and come up on the other side. I don't know. Well, Darren Sproles is only slightly larger than the uh, squirrel from the Green Bay game. And a little bit faster. A little bit faster. Um, In Washington, where people probably think that it's a little muddied, I actually think that there's a clear defined role. Chris Thompson owns it as the pass catching back. So if you're in a PPR, I think he does present some solid weekly value. His upside's not that high, but his floor is also 
pretty close. You know what I mean? They're, they're, you know what you're going to get with him. So if he's a running back two or three, I think he's a safe play. I also believe that Rob Kelly is going to be the back going forward. So that's why I don't think that's a muddy situation. I think it's one that's just going to become clearer and clearer as each week goes on. The last time we saw Kelly running, I thought he ran well. I thought he ran hard. And I thought he did something that Matt Jones doesn't do. He got yards after contact. Well, and he held on to the football, which is something Jones hasn't been able to do. Right. So I, I think those are both good players for people that maybe are looking at, might still be under-owned in your league, that you can go out and find a guy like a, a Rob Kelly or even Chris Thompson, who I know is under-owned, uh, except for maybe in PPR formats, where he's definitely a valuable asset for your team. Uh, let's go down south now, where you've got uh, the New Orleans Saints and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, what can we say about those backfields? Oh, which one do you want to talk about first? I got plenty to say. <laughs> well, uh, I made fun a little bit of the New Orleans Saints during the news today, so maybe we start there. Okay. I would say that people that are box score scouting are going to look at it and say, Mark Ingram's back actually on the radio today on Sirius XM. I heard somebody call in and say, I've got a trade offer. Somebody offered me Antonio Brown for Mark Ingram. First of all, it, the guy that was hosting the show <laughs> thought it was a fake call. I thought it was a fake call. Guy seemed serious. I don't know. But that's the kind of thing you get from scouting the box score. And you see that Ingram had 158 yards, and he had a receiving touchdown. And then you go realize, okay, 75 came on one play. He was still out-touched in the rushing game by Hightower. So it's not clear. And if you're going to gamble on him, that's what it is. It's a gamble. And I don't know if I trust him to hold on to the ball and earn more playing time. So that caps his upside for me. How about the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, where if, if you're a running back, you can go there and get hurt and get put on IR and collect a lot of money for playing like half a game. I applied. They turned, my, they turned down my application. Drat. Um, no, I think that's where there is value to be had. Because at this point, if you're a Doug Martin owner, and you've held on to him all this time. You really should continue to hold on to him. But try to buy from that guy because he might be just frustrated enough or the bye weeks could cause him just enough of a problem that you could steal him for a song and a dance. And hold on, I'm going to go add up some quick numbers here. Let me pull that game up. In Tampa Bay last week, you had Peyton Barber with 11 carries, Anton Smith with five carries, and Mike James with one. That adds up to 17 carries. Now, granted, they didn't do anything with them, but that's 17 carries. The passing game is what caught my attention. Mr. James had three. Mr. Barber had four. And Mr. Smith had three for a total of 10 receptions by the running backs. Who do you think gets those receptions when they come back and start to play again? Well, I can guarantee it won't be Charles Sims because he's actually done for the year. Correct. So it's Mr. Doug Martin, as far as I'm concerned. And those 10 catches, they added up to a whopping 68 yards. So if you take those 10 catches for 68 yards and add them to the minuscule 31, 25, and 3 rushing yards, you have 127 combined on 17 catches, on 17 touches in the running game, and 10 receptions. Well, I will give the uh, caveat to our listeners that that was against the Atlanta Falcons, who have given up the second most in pretty much every category to receiving running backs this year. So 
That I is take true. that with a little grain of salt there. But but then the caveat is it was Peyton Barber, Anton Smith, and Mike James. Exactly. So that's a where revenge game there for Anton Smith. Unfortunately, the uh, revenge ended up happening where he ended up uh, losing his season. Right. And and also it's it's also a very very small sample size. Of course, all I'm trying to show is that there's plenty of opportunity to be had, and there's no depth to take it. So if you're Doug Martin and you're clearly head and shoulders the best running back on that team, he's going to eat. Is it safe for redraft league members to go ahead and cut Jaquiz Rogers at this point? Will Martin be back in time that Rogers really has no more value? If you have a heartbeat this year at running back, you have value. Um, is he somebody worth holding on to? I don't think so. Okay. Now let's head over to the NFC West, or as I like to call it, the NFC Worst. And there we've got uh, both San Francisco and Seattle with running back quandaries. Uh, Right now, San Francisco should get Carlos Hyde back here at some point. But in the short term, is, is there anyone really worth rostering? And how about uh, Seattle? I'll tell you the first thing. The worst thing about Carlos Hyde is that he doesn't get the rush in a game against the San Francisco 49ers defense. <laughs> I'm pretty sure both of us could run for over 100 yards against them. Probably. Um, yeah, I mean... I'm just so down and have been on that offense. I know Cap went for almost 400 yards and blah, blah, blah. I just, I've been, I've been lukewarm on Hyde at best this year. So he's not somebody I can see relying on as a running back one. If you're going to use him, it's going to have to be as a running back two or a flex in my mind. And I still week to week wouldn't feel good about it because game flow is going to be something that really dictates what and where they're going. In addition, I'd like to add that their schedule coming up here is pretty awful. Yeah. Now, Seattle, that has to be one of the toughest, seriously, one of the toughest places to own a person in fantasy right now because Michael's done a great job. There's no denying that. Running, pure running back one. He is the epitome of what the hell were you thinking? You should have sold high when you had the chance, though. Yes. Because at this point, Rawls is going to come back. And he is going to get worked into the offense. Now, I'm not saying he's going to get worked in his an equal timeshare, but can Michael even afford to give up five to ten touches? Well, it's, plus we're also going to see the uh, uptick in touches for receiving back uh, C.J. Procease as well. Correct. So what happens in my mind is you're going to see two backs that have value that can't get maximized because they're going to vulture each other. And you know what? I, can, I can't see any way that... Oh, God, forgot his name. What's their coach? Um, Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll, yeah. I can't see any way that Carroll wants to ride one too hard and not have them both come playoff time. So I think that's a really good take on that. And then, I'm just going to call him CJ. I hate saying his last name. (laughs) Um, CJ, I think he's the one that gets his value hurt the most because he is going, when you're that receiving back in the mold of a CJ, um, or CJ, a Chris Thompson a theoretic, you can't afford to timeshare that position. And the rookie, they're going to get his feet wet so that, God forbid, something happens, he can step in and his role can grow as he's coming back from his injury now. But he's just coming back from it, and now you got Rawls who's going to step in and vulture his value, I think. So I think that the best move for anybody that owned Michael was to have sold him. Well, it's interesting we ended our conversation here on an AFC, a former AFC team in the CLC Hawks, because when we look at the AFC side of the coin, there's really only three teams 
without clearly defined roles. And one of them is actually fairly new. He wasn't on my list at this point last week, but now he's slid into that question mark range, and that's uh, Denver, Baltimore, and Oakland. Come on. Really? Where do you want to start? Let's start with Denver, since they're the one that just joined the questionable backfield situation after this week's game. What makes you say that they joined it this week? Well, uh, the huddle.com actually posted something today <laughs> about uh, how uh, it's quite likely that uh, Capri Bibbs is making a strong case to be the uh, running back one there, and there's a chance that Devontae Booker might start losing some touches. So wait a minute, Capri Bibbs, would that be the same guy that this was bound to determine the run shit out of the end zone? Bonehead time after bonehead time? Exactly. There's your answer as far as I'm concerned. I can't say that Booker has something on lockdown, but you've got to play this game smart. And I don't know that Bibbs is doing himself any favors. One, he is playing on special teams. That's a need. That's, a, that's an important facet of the game that I think people underestimate. Um, so I don't know. I don't know really how I feel about it. Here's my biggest concern for the running game in Denver. It starts with the quarterback. Yes. They lead the league and they hammered this into our heads last night during the broadcast in three and outs. And, and, I mean, if you're in a league that has fantasy punters, and I am in one of those, go get the Denver punter. Um, cause he's, I would also recommend Jeff Locke of the Vikings. Yeah, I and mean, his leg's going to fall off. But, no, seriously, that's my biggest concern right now with that offense, and I'm a Demarius Thomas owner in one league. So I've got Booker. I, I had stashed him earlier in the season. Um, he's dealing with an injury, too. It just right now that offense is a mess. So I would say, you know what? It belongs where it is, but not necessarily because of the running back talent or situations. So maybe that one got a little cloudier this weekend. One that seems like it got a little bit clearer this weekend is Oakland. Yes. Um, although again, a boneheaded, a good play that was a boneheaded play, I think made you realize why Jack has treated Latavius Murray possibly the way he has treated him. Did you see what Jack Del Rio said to him when he was coming off the field after the touchdown where he reached yeah. the ball out? I mean, <laughs> it was, hey, good job. Protect the effing ball um, in so many words. So I was going to say, uh, I, I'm sure there were some lip readers out there that probably thought that was a little bit more colorful than that. Yeah, it probably was. But, I mean, that's where I think you see coaches. We, we tend to focus on the end result, which, of course, is always important. But coaches tend to look a little bit more. And hey, look, end result: Jamie Collins is one hell of a linebacker. End result: he got traded to Cleveland because he liked to freelance and not follow through with things the way that Belichick drew them up. So well, I think the last team we have to look at is Baltimore. Now going into their at, bye week, look at you, look at you, just trying to get me back on point. Don't stray. We're going to the we're going running backs, not talking linebackers. So going into the bye week, they said that they were going to get Kenneth Dixon more involved, and uh, well, yeah. that didn't really happen. I bought it. I bought it hook, line, and sinker. I was all on that train. I really was. Harbaugh straight up, man. And when he says it, I bought it. That's who my blue light special was at running back this week. And where the hell did Pittsburgh decide to get a defense? <laughs> I guess they got healthy. Um, Cam Hayward back. Um, yeah, I honestly – I chalk that game up to it was just a game that the script went opposed to what everybody thought it would be. There was very little offense in it for both sides, and we didn't see Dixon take the ball and run with it, as they say. But 
like in Washington, I do think that he's the guy I would want to own where you're going to see him clearly separate from Terrence West. It's not going to take much to separate from Terrence West. If you couldn't cut it in Cleveland. And here's the thing. This is one of those situations where you have to act now because if you wait, then you're going to be too late. Well, I think a lot of people are probably burned by that over the last couple weeks, too, involving Dixon. So if you've got an owner who has held on to him all season, who might be getting a little tired of that, now would be the time to go trade for that guy while his stock value is a little bit diminished because, like you said, he probably will be the guy to own down the stretch. And the Ravens' uh, playoff fantasy schedule is actually fairly good against uh, for facing for running backs. And that's what I was just going to say. In that last four-week stretch where you really make hay, that's where Kenneth Dixon's going to be one of those league winners, I think. Well, you know what? Uh, you, you, mentioned, uh, you mentioned that game. Everyone kind of thought that was going to be a high-scoring game this week, and uh, it wasn't. So, you know, I, I lost a little bit in terms of uh, my respect for uh, – offensive scoring because uh, I played a lot of guys in that game in my uh, DFS lineups last week including Steve Smith Sr. and uh, Joe Flacco and Ben Roethlisberger and Antonio Brown. Fortunately those two hooked up on a late touchdown to kind of save my week a little bit but that was kind of a rough week for me uh, from a daily standpoint where my sleeper picks pretty much all came in but my chalk plays other than Ezekiel Elliott were kind of foul. Yeah. I'm going to see if I can find something real quick. I tweeted something out during that Steelers game um, because it was one of the games I had and I was watching it. I don't know why. Just I guess I'm in the punishment, punishing myself. Um, But they had to be somewhere near midpoint of the fourth quarter, right? Mm -hmm. And I tweeted out that between Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown and Ben Roethlisberger, don't quote me on this. I'm pretty sure this is exact that the three of them had combined for 115 total yards of offense, and that was midway through the fourth quarter. I would be surprised if it was even that high. It no, seemed like a I, lot less. I remember, I remember now. It was 115 because I had it queued up. It was 114. They handed off to Le'Veon, and I went, oh, crap. Oh, you only got a yard. Okay, I just got to fix one number here. So I, didn't, I don't have the, the tweet in front of me, but that's what it was. It was 115 yards. I didn't note the time, but I know it was well into the fourth quarter. 115 total yards of offense. That's how bad that day was. I mean, truly, it was, I, I want to call it, it was like garbage time. I mean, that's when they made their hay. It was in that last 10 minutes of the fourth quarter was pretty much garbage time because that game was not close, even though the score was in within seven. Well, that actually kind of brings up an important topic as we kind of segue into our DFS segment of the night. And that is that uh, over the last couple of weeks, uh, we've really made a lot of money by the fact that the chalk plays have really come in. So if you played those superstars that were supposed to perform big, they did perform big. This past week, like I said, except for uh, Andrew Luck and Aaron Rodgers in the quarterback battle there, as well as the uh, Ezekiel Elliott play, the, the top players really didn't perform like they should this past week. I mean, you, you can give a little credit to Odell Beckham Jr. with the two touchdowns, but no one really thought he was going to have that good of a game in, in, against a defense that should have been able to hold him in check a little bit better than that. And, and yards-wise, he didn't. Those those touchdowns actually saved him. And by the way, I found that there was two tweets. One, I said, and this was, a, of course, in the second half, Ben Roethlisberger has completed eight passes for 54 yards today. Jason Witten has eight catches for 134 yards. And then the other one about the three being combined for 115 offensive yards. 
So, hey, yeah, the chalk plays have been paying off, but you're right. This time, this week, not really. It was a tough, it was a weird week, six teams off, and there was a lot of nothing out there. Well, it's interesting that we were talking about Ben Roethlisberger because when we get breaking down our DFS for this week, the quarterback that I'm actually paying up for this week is Ben Roethlisberger. Uh, he is back at home where he's always been very, very good. Uh, he's one more week fully healthy from his injury. His price tag isn't too horrible considering the fact that uh, uh, it could have dropped significantly after that poor performance last week. Dallas is still shorthanded in their secondary. And uh, you know what? I mean, if Ben is going to show that he's ready to perform, you want to see him perform at home. Yeah, that, I, don't, I don't love it. I don't dislike it. It's, I think it's a solid play, and especially because it is at home and they need a win. Um, there's no way that they get into the second half with Antonio Brown only having two catches for nine yards again. Um, they will definitely put some numbers up this week. I just happen to like Matt Ryan a little bit better. Um, I, I like Matt Ryan. I'd pay up for him. I don't have Julio Jones as my pay at wide receiver, but I could see that stack happening. You know, that's an interesting play. And you know what? I was looking at the high-priced quarterback options this week, and there really aren't any that I dislike that much. So the player that I'm going to avoid I had one. is Drew Brees against Denver. Now, I'm really going against the odds here because Drew Brees also is sick good at home. But Denver has shut just completely shut out opposing quarterbacks. They've given up five touchdowns this entire season to opposing quarterbacks. They just held Derek Carr to uh, minimal yardage and no touchdowns in a game that Denver lost 30-20. to 20. So, I mean, I, I think that Denver's run defense has gotten pretty bad. I think they're the fourth worst right now in, in total yards per game allowed on the ground. So teams don't have to throw the ball against them. So we might see a lot of Tim Hightower and uh, Ingram in this game. You know, Breeze at home is a different animal. And I know that Denver has been tough on quarterbacks. But one, here's, here's it's like I try to play, I try to put my, my pros and cons. Pro, Drew Breeze at home. Con, Denver. Okay, unknown pro. Is Denver with or without Aqib Tlaib after dealing with his back issue? Um, they're also down another starting cornerback. So if a Tlaib's out and another cornerback's out, yeah, Den- Oakland wasn't able to take advantage of it. They didn't have to because of the running game. Breeze could be able to exploit it. Here's how I look at it. It's too risky, so I stay away from it. Um, the guy I'm staying away from, I don't like it. I don't like it at all. Tom Brady. I just don't like him going to Seattle. You know, he he was the only other guy I considered, and I just I thought to myself, you know what, I, I'm going to do that. And then I looked at Seattle, and Seattle's given up like eight passing touchdowns over the last three weeks, and they've already given up uh, another one here today, plus the rushing touchdown to Tyrod Taylor. Yes, but the difference is, where is that game being played? In oh, Seattle. In Seattle. Well, it's being played in Seattle tonight, too, so forget that I said that. But no, I'm sorry. Just in general, Seattle's not a safe place to play for opposing teams, so I don't see taking the risk as being something you should do. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, with the money you're paying to get uh, Drew Brees or to get Tom Brady this week. I want sure things. Again, they don't, yeah, exactly. They don't have bad matchups, and they actually will probably do okay, but they're not going to outperform their salary. You want guys that are going to outperform their salary, especially at the quarterback position. Well, uh, the one player I'm going to look at as a guy who I think will outperform his salary considerably is Carson Wentz uh, facing Atlanta. Six of nine quarterbacks that have faced Atlanta have thrown for three or more touchdowns against them. Not not one, not two, three or more by six of the nine. 
that's not a bad play. And Wentz started off horribly, finished strongly. Um, unfortunately, the Eagles receivers, J. Matt specifically, aren't very good. Um, but what I was going to say before was with, with Brady and Breeze, they can have big games. Again, I, that wouldn't shock me. I just think there's too much risk. So that, I want sure things. But the guy that I'm going to say is a value, and he's short, far from a sure thing, is call me crazy, but I like Jay Cutler coming off a bye. I, I do too, actually. I think that's a good play. He was one of the guys I seriously considered there. Okay. How about running back? Who are you going to pay up for? I know who I'm paying up uh, for. It it's, it's, seems like it's fairly obvious. It's David Johnson versus San Francisco. I don't care that he's the top-priced play, uh, player in the entire league. He deserves it this week. Opposing running backs, listen to this line. Over the last three games for the San Francisco 49ers, 722 yards and seven touchdowns just on the ground. We're not talking receiving yards, too, which David Johnson's certainly capable of doing. That's ridiculous. You know that means he's like destined for a 10-carry, 11-yard day with four touchdowns, right? You know what? The only (laughs) way that could happen is if he gets hurt and Andre Ellington plays the entire game. You're right, it is. I'm actually thinking about sending a letter to both FanDuel and DraftKings asking if I allow them to increase his salary times two if I can play him in two running back spots. And that I would be still, so nice. And I still think he'd be worth it. So he's my you know, There's he's actually my a fantasy site out there uh, where you can actually pay, like basically you, you can up your salary cap by taking negative points on your score. So in that one, I might just put him in every single roster slot I can until... There you uh, go. And just take like the negative five points or whatever they give me for that. <laughs> yep. No, he's in my he's in my pay to play spot too. I'll tell you what, I had a tough time coming up with a guy I wanted to stay away from. Um so begrudgingly, I'm staying away from Zeke Elliott this week. And and I just to me it's more game flow. I, I expect Pittsburgh to come out, put some points on the board, and I think we, we see Dallas struggle to do what they haven't had to do, which is play from behind much. Well, like we said earlier, uh, Pittsburgh did seem to find a little bit of a defense there, held Terrence West in check. Uh, one guy that I'm going to avoid this week at running back, uh, uh, again, it's not a horrible play, but he's facing Green Bay, and Green Bay is fairly good against the run. That's DeMarco Murray. Uh, they've given up only three running back touchdowns uh, total over the last two weeks, so it looks like they're giving up touchdowns, which Murray is very good for. But they've only allowed one running back to top 80 yards all year, and that, of course, was Ezekiel Elliott. Uh, plus, they allow an average of just 69 rushing yards per game to opposing running back ones. So, uh, again, if you're not Ezekiel Elliott, you're probably uh, risking some slow points there from Murray. You're really hoping he scores that touchdown. Okay, so what about your value play? You know, uh, I chose the uh, Eagles quarterback. I'm also going to choose the Eagles quote-unquote scat back slash starting running back, slash guy who gets all the carries, Darren Sproles. His price tag's still relatively low. Uh, well, at 4300 on DraftKings, I think that's safe to say. So, yeah, good call on the price. Well, you know, he is technically the lead back there now, according to the coach, although that might change by the end of the day today. Uh, but Atlanta, as we mentioned earlier, is horrible against running backs that receive the ball out of the backfield. Uh, they don't allow a lot of rushing yards, so you're not going to count him for rushing yards. But Atlanta has allowed the most running back receiving yards, the second most running back receptions, and the second most running back receiving touchdowns. And even if Sproles gives up some of those between-the-tackles carries to Wendell Smallwood or Ryan Matthews, Sproles is still going to be the pass-catching option there. 
You know, I couldn't really find a guy that I liked as a value this week. Just, I'm going to have one hell of a time trying to find somebody for my blue light special come Friday. Um, I don't dislike the Sproles call. I'm going to go the other way and say, I feel like Ryan Matthews is going to at least be able to punch in a couple of close ones at the goal line against the Falcons. So I'll run with him as a value just simply because he's only 3700 bucks. Okay. What do you like at wide receiver this week? I really don't like anyone at wide receiver for the pay-to-play. I love somebody at wide receiver. And you don't know who it is. No, I don't. It doesn't match your play. I know your play. I, I don't see how anybody can say that they don't love Mike Evans at this point. You know, Mike Evans may be the best player in football right now in a wide receiver position. He uh, definitely is moving into the conversation for top three, top four pick for next year for redraft leagues. Yep, I I agree. And look, I said I had Matt Ryan as my quarterback and that I would not be opposed to a Julio Jones stack. But Evans is 500 hours cheaper. He's playing at home. He's playing a Chicago Bears team that does not have the best secondary. Um, I am old. I fell asleep in the bottom of the 10th inning for the World Series. I also fell asleep for the game that Tampa played on Thursday night. But I woke up for two things. I swear to you, it's like Mr. Evans was calling to me. I woke up to see his first touchdown, and then something happened where I woke up on that unbelievable one-handed catch that he made. I saw no other plays that entire game except those two plays. Well, I'm going to go to the well with Larry Fitzgerald going against San Francisco. San Francisco has allowed multiple wide receiver touchdowns in each of their last five games and in six of their last seven. Now, see, I'm going to switch things up and go from your pay-to-play and my pay-to-play to my value play because of that. My AJ value, Wilson? No, it is John Brown Ah, because of those same reasons. So it's hard to figure out who's going to have the big week, but you know somebody is. And at John Brown's price, I think he's a value that presents plenty of upside. Well, the value play for me this week is uh, Richard Matthews against Green Bay. Uh, five teams have topped 175 yards with their uh, receiving core against Green Bay. Richard has touchdowns in, uh, five touchdowns in his last five games, so uh, he's definitely become the wide receiver one that we all kind of expected at the start of the year. And his price tag's still really, really low, so I'm, I'm going to ride Richard until uh, he starts to show again that he isn't a legitimate wide receiver one. Okay. You know what we're going to do now? We're going to go up, go into our two-minute drill with the hurry-up offense because we're running really late. Um, tell you who I'm going to avoid. I'm avoiding Jordy Nelson. Good good avoid, I guess. Uh, I'm going to avoid Ellen Robinson against Houston. Yeah, just now because people all of a sudden they get sucked back in. They saw one good game, and they wonder, can you trust him? And the answer is no, you can't trust Blake Bortles. So I'm with you on that. Texans only four touchdowns to wide receivers all year. And their defensive backfield is now getting healthy again. Yes, they got Parrish Cox back this past week. So another week under the belt. I agree with you. I don't like him either. Um, tight end. I'm not paying up for Gronk, although that's what I've said that I pay up for him each and every week. Who, who are you paying up for? I'm uh, going to pay up for Travis Kelsey. Uh, Carolina has allowed four teams to top 85 yards receiving with their tight ends. They have allowed six tight end touchdowns this year. Didn't they allow all-world, all-pro, all-everything Lance Kendricks, like 25 catches for 362 yards and eight touchdowns. Nine catches, weekend. 90 yards. Yeah. Uh, he was one of my sleeper calls on Sunday morning. So, Yep, and Tyler Higby even chipped in with one for 31. So <laughs> I'm actually with you. I like Kelsey to the same spot. Who are you avoiding that tight end? Gronk. 
I'm going to avoid Greg Olson for the second straight week. Uh, only one tight end has scored against Kansas City. And only one tight end has topped 60 yards against them this year. And I don't feel good avoiding Gronk, but I, I just everybody else is cheap, so it's like I feel dirty saying I'm avoiding somebody that's like 2,500 bucks. Interesting um, point. There's, there really aren't a lot of values at tight end this week because everyone's kind of all in that same price range. I'm going to go with Zach Ertz against Atlanta. You throw out the two donkey performances by Jeff Heuerman and Richard Rodgers, in which they were both shut out. In the other seven games this year, Atlanta is allowing opposing tight ends uh, six, six touchdowns and nearly 75 yards per game to opposing tight ends in those other seven games. And I'm going to say my value play is Antonio Gates. Gates is, I think, six TDs away from the tight end record. I think Philip Rivers does what he can to get him that record before the end of the season. So I like Gates' value play. Sounds good. So that's going to do it for us, right, on this election eve. Only words of wisdom that I will add is to, I'm not going to tell you to vote responsibly. I'm not going to tell you to vote Democrat. I'm not going to tell you to vote Republican. I'm not going to tell you to abstain. I'm going to tell you just go out and vote. Exercise your God-given right as an American to vote for the President of the United States. And Godspeed to us, no matter who wins. And until then, make sure that you are voting for us by um, endorsing us on, I don't know, where is it? iTunes, I guess? Yeah. Rate, review us, all that good stuff, right? And you can check out Harley on Twitter, at Nuclear Harley. Of course, you can check out myself, at Steve Gallo NFL. And until next week, vote responsibly. Cheers. Cheers.